It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 517 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record where, as you know, I hold great in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in a variety of fields, sales, marketing, and leadership, virtually every day of the week. Now, if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 517. What you're going to find is a detailed timestamp breakdown of this, in fact, all the conversations that we have here on Accelerate. So if you're listening to the show today and you miss a point or you hear a point, you want to go back and, and explore in more detail, uh, go to the show notes page at andypaul.com forward slash 517. You'll be able to quickly locate that particular part of the conversation and learn more about it. Joining me on Accelerate today is Pat Helmers. Pat is the author of the Selling with Confidence sales system, and he's the host of the Sales Babble podcast. Now, Pat works with a lot of startups, and he's joining me on the show to talk about the toughest sales challenges, that specifically that startups face, and how they can navigate their way to success. So, Pat Helmers, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks for having me, Andy. My pleasure. We've been circling each other for a while. I'm glad we finally, <laughs> finally got you on the show. So, so uh, a question I ask my guests at the start, top of the show is, is, in your mind, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? I think it's trying to differentiate themselves from all the, the noise that's out there on the internet. Um, trying to cut through all of that. It used to be pretty easy to maybe to call people up or drop by and stop by and strike up a conversation it's it's difficult now there's a lot of competing there's a lot of competition for people's interests mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so what have you found is is the best way for people to capture the attention of somebody they're targeting i think the first thing you have to do is really kind of build a relationship with the people and uh, it all kind of depends on on the business that you're in um a metaphor i like to use is if you want to go trout fishing you should go to a trout stream Right? You don't go to a pond or a lake or the ocean. <laughs> you, don't, you don't go to the Mississippi River. You go where your clients are. So mm-hmm. I think what the trick is you need to hang out where, the, where your prospective clients might be and then um, and just get to know them. And a good way of doing that is giving them free things, um, listening to them, asking questions about them. Um, making sure that you find the itch that they have before you pitch a solution. So, okay. So what you're saying is, is you need to need to serve before you sell. Yeah. Okay. That, that's in the place where I'm at. You know, I think I think there's two things that sellers really need to work on: is the having an attitude of "I'm here to help" and "I'm here to add value." With the attitude of "I'm here to help." It gives you the the tools, and you'll just kind of naturally know the kinds of questions to ask people. You know, how can I how, how can I be of service? Like for example, a lot of people are afraid to talk to people <laughs> and don't know what to say. You say so, a lot of a lot of salespeople are. Yeah, a lot of salespeople do, and um, and but but you actually do know what to do. So picture the the possibility that you know one of your friends calls you up and says, "Andy, I'm I just had a car accident." And you would naturally say, are you okay? Is everything all right? Are you healthy? How's the car? Is there anything I can do to help you? Do you want me to call somebody? Do you want me to come fetch you? You would immediately like start asking questions to try to better understand what's going on. Right. Great salespeople do that naturally. 
to people that they don't know. They naturally ask them. You well, know, I, that's a, but that's a great question. Is is they do it naturally or they learn? Well, I think I I, I think they. That's good. I, well, that's a good point. <laughs> some people it's natural. Some people it's not. But I believe in the possibility that it can be a learned behavior. Um, in my in what I focus on myself personally about non-seller sellers, you know, people who come from technology backgrounds. Yes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, they've got their engineers or their craftspeople. You know, there there are people that have a passion about some something, but they don't have a passion about getting customers and cold calling and all that all that stuff. Um, but I believe they can. I believe they can become great sellers by kind of like finding that ability, that desire to help that they already have inside of them. And then and then the second part is is like once you once you understand whether or not you can help them or not, how can you really add value to their lives? You know, can you can can you improve them? You know, it doesn't do any good as like, do you want me to come and pick you up if you happen to be two thousand miles away on a business trip? So true, true. So so great salespeople may find that they can't really help them that the problems, or you know the or the desires that they have, you know, are something that's beyond them. But maybe they know somebody that can help them, you know, and. Uh, and, and usually that's good enough. Or maybe they know somebody, here's what even better yet, maybe they know somebody who could appreciate the, the product or solution that you have. But the only way you're going to get to do that is by, by having an attitude of how can I help and you know, asking those questions to, to better understand what's going on in their lives. So you work with a lot of startup companies, I take it, because you're talking about you know, non-seller, non-sales sellers, you know, so right. people that are getting into business for themselves. Right. So, so what... What type of companies do you typically work with? Um, commonly, software, software companies. A lot you know, of software but, companies. Yeah, you know, people who have, so you know, picture a business. They got a better mousetrap, and they, lots of times, people think that you know this is really going to make a change in the world, but they haven't really done the kind of due diligence to find out is there really a market for this product or service. They could be. It could be. Many people scratch an itch, scratch their own itch when they come up with a product. But they don't really understand exactly is this needed elsewhere, and if the, and it probably is needed elsewhere. But how to best frame it, and in the language of the ideal client, you know, the possible market, uh, prospective market, what in their what would the words that they would use? Well, so that raises a good question. So, how do you advise you know, the companies, startups that you're working with, to the steps they should take to validate sort of the product market fit? The, the first thing to do is to kind of take the customers that you already have and to actually do market research on them and ask them, the, you know, what well, were the... Ch- what if it's a brand new product, though? Yeah, well, um, you the best thing to do is to find out what you think the ideal market's going to be and still interview them. Mm-hmm. Interview them anyway, even though, even though you haven't sold the product, which is actually a very wise thing to do. Um, there's an old story, right, where Seth Godin says the best way to validate your idea is to print up some business cards, a brochure of what it's going to look like, and see if you can make a sale. Yeah, I agree, 100%. Develop nothing, right? Invest nothing. Just go out there and see if you can, you know, so if, if you can, if, if you can make a sale. Yeah, a, a wiser way to do that is say, let's say I'm going to go into a business of selling software to. Uh, dental hygienists, right? Like I go to a bunch of dental hygienists and I would ask them, what are the biggest challenges that you face? 
You know, I would ask them things like, what are the obstacles that keeps them from getting the goals that they want? And what are the ramifications of those of those obstacles? And how does that hurt, you know, their practice? How does that hurt their business? You know, and what would it mean if you could transform that and make those go away and get them to speak in their language, in their words, you know, what makes the most sense? And then in that kind of context, then you, you have an idea whether or not the product or service that you would be provided would actually fit. Plus, you have all the all the words that you would put in marketing copy and sales copy and brochures and emails and all that and all that jazz. So one of the things that, that comes up oftentimes with, with startups is when they're out looking for that first customers, especially in the case where there are founders who are mm-hmm. not from sales, is they want to hire somebody to go make that first sale. And I always, I always say, no, you got to go sell that yourself. I mean, if yep. you don't understand how to sell your product or service, how's anybody else going to learn? So so what's your advice to people on that? Well, oh, I totally agree. The number one sales guy or gal in a startup is the founders, are the founders. They have to be the, the first ones to do that. Um, and the thing is, too, they're probably not adverse to going to talking to venture capital, right, and private equity and those kinds of people to... You know, to, to to raise money, but this but the same thing's got to be true. Is the first thing they always ask is, "What are your re- what's your revenue? You know, how much? How, what have you sold? How many have you sold? You know, and and um, it it's the best way of understanding what the product that you really have. You got to get your ego out outside of it, out of the thing that you've made, the baby that you've made. You got to release it, and you got to be talking to real people to see whether or not it's got value or not. So how do you advise your startup founders you work with on when is the right time then to hire somebody in sales? Probably when it's starting to, and it's taken up all their time. You know, so so commonly you'll see people be able to do quite a bit. You know, maybe, you know, sell half a million to a million dollars worth of, worth of stuff, you know, on their own. Um, but when you get above that, they kind of run out. They kind of run out of energy. Um, and it's not what their true passion commonly is, right? Their true passion is the thing that they invented. Um, yeah, they're, well, they're getting too deep into the details of their their business. They're working, you know, the right. classics are in their business, not on their business at that point. Right. But they, but that first, but those first few dollars, they should be earning that in and of themselves. And the best way to do that is for a lot of these products is to actually do real sales. You know, go on LinkedIn and trying to find people who might be prospective clients. You know. Try, you know, try to build a relationship with them, like I like I was talking about earlier, and and seeing if they would be willing to to give your thing a try. Way too many founders have a tendency to think that I can I can I don't have to dirty my hands on this at all, and I can hire a marketing department to like do all this, and magically people will just you know log in and buy my thing. And for consumer products, for that might be possible. But for B2B enterprise situations, it's still going to require a human being to create, you know, to create a conversation and to, and to enroll people. Um, yeah. That's, well, not, that's not going to get automated, I don't but I believe. Not, no, well, <laughs> not like a, no time, no time soon. Not the entire no time thing, for soon. sure. No, not that sure. I, not, not, not like vacuuming the floor, no. No, no, it's not going to be a, a physical, <laughs> physical robot that does it, I don't believe. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't think so. Well, and, I, and it's a key point is that too many of the founders then, when they finally do reach the point they need to hire somebody, is, yeah. They don't know how to do it. They don't know how to do it, right? It's, yeah. And, and they tend to, especially the ones that, 
least in my experience, the ones that don't have a sales background tend to be swayed by the one. The candidates tend to be a little flashier, a little more assertive, a little more extroverted because chances are the founders aren't that way themselves. So they think, ah, this person completes me, right? So, you know, let's uh, the great compliment, you know, together we're a whole, let's hire that type of person, which oftentimes is a big mistake. Yeah, I think I think instead what you have to do is is, is to not be to, to stop that from happening is to really create a set of filters, just like you would for your software engineers. Like you wouldn't hire a software engineer without giving them assessments, giving some tests, having them code some things up, you know, put them under some pressure, see what their limits are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you would you do with a software engineer. You do the very same thing with salespeople. So, like. Here's a good example. Like, let's say you have a post out there, or maybe some, yeah. Let, let's say you have a post out that says we're hired. We're looking to hire salespeople. Um, we're looking for these kinds of people with these kinds of experience, and then people will apply to it. And the first thing you would you would send them an email back, and you'd say, "Hey, I really like that you applied. That's really really great. Why don't you give me a ring? Why don't you give me a what? I'm sorry. Why don't, why don't you give me a ring? Why don't you call me up? Sure, sure. Half the people don't. Because they're not afraid. They're afraid of calling on the phone. They may send you an email that says, well, when would be a good time to call? Right? What you've done is you just filtered out half the salespeople. Not aggressive enough. Not assertive enough. You know? And then let's say the ones that call, and you'd say, and you just kind of listen to their voice and see if you like how their voice sounds. Do they sound like they're nice people? Do they sound like they got something? And if they do, then I would commonly do is I would say, well, I have an, I have an assessment I'd like to give you. I've got these half a dozen questions about usually about sales and that I'd like you to answer only take an hour and then just email me back the, the word. And they would say, great. Well, and they would say, this, when do you want it? This and is like, would, this is like an essay test. Yeah. This is a, no, it's just Phil. This is just a simple question. Just like, you know, uh, commonly it's hard to get through the gatekeeper, you know, when you're, when you're interviewing somebody, um, mm-hmm. what, what kinds of things do you do to get around the gatekeeper? Okay. But sometimes people will write, a sentence. Sometimes I'll write five sentences. It kind of really doesn't matter what the answer is in some regards. If the answers look solid. If the grammar is solid, if um, if they if you don't give them a time frame to do it and they get it back to you within a day or two, that's really good. That means they do timely work. So now we're assessing their ability to like, you know, to manage themselves. You know, some people like push it way out. Each one of these steps I have slowly just filters out people till you only have the very, very, very best until you get to the very end. And the very end is like, I'd like to come in and meet you and have lunch, mm-hmm. you know, and I've had people flunk lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah, more common than you think. Cause once you first meet somebody, uh, I have them doing all this stuff. There's this whole big thing you have them doing and they slowly just kind of filter themselves out. But I've had people who I thought I'm going to hire, if I'm going to take the time to meet them, you know, and buy them lunch, I, I have a 90% chance I'm going to hire them. But I've had those people show up and spill food on themselves and be slobs and look like they just rolled out of bed. And I'm like, I'm just not hiring these people. Well, let me ask you a question because this is one that, that trips up a lot of people. And I mm-hmm. I have a very specific uh, way of doing this, which I think is really helps in the hiring process. But when do you, rec- when do you tell people to check references? I really don't check references. I don't believe in it. I don't care what people say or what their friends say. I care what people do. Actions speak louder than words. And I have a tough enough process that they prove to me. They actually, to a certain degree, I have them actually working for me. 
Sure. And I can see that they are real employees, that they're going to be terrific employees. So this process, by the way, could take weeks. (laughs) Well, I said you talked about you have them do assessments, you meet with them, but what's the work part? Because I mean, what's the work? Okay, we didn't get to that. So, yeah, I mean, this. So the work part is, first I had them fill this form, and the next thing I say, what I'd like you to do is give me a demo of some piece of software. So whatever you're working on, I would say, I'm going to get you a free account. I'm not going to give you any coaching, but I just want you to give me a 20-minute, 15-minute presentation on how the software works. And people who can't technically figure that out, just never do it. People who struggle with it, you know, get their friends to help them, it becomes obvious when they're giving when they're giving the demonstration, it becomes pretty obvious who's adept at this and who isn't. And do you have them actually then like pick up the phone and call a customer? I actually have them call. I act, I act like I'm a customer and I give them common, you know, up, you know, you know, objections that I, I commonly hear and see how they deal with, how they address them. Okay. And I, I kind of, and, it, and the thing, an interesting thing about that is that, you know, sometimes they feel like, oh, they've done really, really bad. But I commonly act at the end of the call, I'll call them back and say, you did really good. You know, I didn't expect, I didn't give you any training. You know, I'm not looking for perfection. And I'll tell them I'm not looking for perfection. But the ones who you could tell they've really put a lot of energy into it and they've really tried, they've really tried very, very hard to, to win me over. I mean, that's, that's, you know, if, if it looks like they have the base set of skills that I can work with, that's, that, that, that's adequate. That's fine. So many people don't even get that far. You would be surprised, Andy. Three fourths of people don't get this far. Oh, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I, but, but they could have shown up right in an interview. This is what a guy. This I was working with a guy this spring who was doing this. He people would apply and he'd say, "Well, let's meet for lunch." He'd immediately meet with them for lunch, and they would. He would just. They, he would just be blown away by by some of these people, and he'd up and hire them. And you say, "Well, maybe you should have checked references or walked through their reference." No, you never ever truly assessed their skills. And since he's been doing this process. It is, his process is a little bit different than this because he is, is a marketing company. Sure. But it's been phenomenal, the workers that he's getting. Now he's actually getting productivity out of them uh, compared to the people that he was hiring last year. Yeah, I mean, hiring is really an exercise what, in risk management. You know, so Seth Gold's got something where he'll say that what he tries to do is he tries to get people to intern for him for free. Sure. Oh, but that's kind of tough. You know? <laughs> and I guess in some businesses, if you're Seth Godin. Yeah, yeah, people would want to do that. Right. But but this is the next best thing. This is the next best thing. So you can really, really see whether or not people Yeah, this 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 process works. Yeah, well, yeah. I think any any process that combines assessments and testing of skills and capabilities. There's know, a people, part there too where you walk through the resume, you know, and well, I think could, you have I think it could take like three hours where you walk through their resume line by line. Explain this to me. What's going on here? And, and you kind of look to see whether their whole story, their whole life story makes sense. Yeah, I think, I think personally, I think if people state something that's factual on their, their resume, like I was 300% a quota, they need to be able to verify that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... It's yeah. to me that's that's really slippery slope. You know, people, that, pe- people that people that exaggerate on resumes are going to exaggerate for our customers. That's that's why I'm. That's why the resume is only like it's like the fifth step for me. That I've done these other things first just to weed them out. Because I just you don't want to screen based on the resume. No, well, not exactly. No. Well, that's not quite true. You read the resumes and you go, not a fit, right? You, you, 
you know, you do the billboard look. You know, you spend one minute and you go, not a fit, bam, not a fit, bam. Looks like a fit maybe, but I don't thoroughly walk through the resumes until after I've had them work for me already. Interesting. <laughs> so you, you, don't do, you don't do phone screens? Yeah, this is all, all this is done on the phone that we've been talking about. Okay. All, right. all this is on the phone. The last, I didn't know we were going this deep into it. I could, I could have walked you in a much more organized manner. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> we just, we go where it goes. Yeah. It's, oh yeah, this is all done on the phone. I don't meet him for lunch until I'm actually, I'm 90% sure. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. There's, there's, you know, a growing body of research that, and not that it's definitive, but a, a growing body of research. Somebody wrote about it recently in New York times is that, that actually, in terms of uh, being able to, what's more predictive in terms of your success predicting somebody's, a candidate's success on the job, was comparing, just looking at the resume, compared to looking at the resume and then doing an interview. And in there are certain scenarios they came up with where in certain jobs that actually just looking at the resume turned out to be more accurate than... The interview because of people's biases being brought into to play in the interview. Yeah, I think the practice, the more current practice is, is like, we're not going to hire you. We're going to get a consulting company to bring contractors in. We'll bring you as a contractor for six months. And if we like you, then we'll t- convert you to an employee. Yeah, well, that's that's the old, old. Well, that's uh, not old. That's everything now. Well, I know, but the, that yeah, used to be temp businesses, you know. Yeah. That's that's very common now. That's what a lot of millennials have to go into now. That's the path. That's kind of what this, and that's kind of what I'm trying. To, I'm trying to emulate that without going through the contractor, without going through a PEO. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's Andy. That's the growing trend. Every, which I dislike, but <laughs> but I I see why companies do that because it's easier to they don't people don't like firing people, right? Yeah. So, I yeah. Mean, I mean, it, you know, I mean, I mean, I've been a salesman. I've been, I've been a manager for decades, so I know, I, I get that. I, be, I believe the best way to assess whether or not someone's going to be a good worker for you is to have them work for you. <laughs> no, I, I agree. In an ideal circumstance. That's, that's, that's my thesis. That's my thesis, and that's my process. Yeah. No, I think if you can get people to work for you first, tempt a perm. Good way to go. It's not always but, feasible in sales, but especially if people come well, from other jobs. But you know, by having them like answer some questions, I get a sense of their grammar. I get a sense of their speaking skills. I get a sense of their ability to give a presentation. I get a sense of their technical abilities. I get a, a sense of their their uh, timeliness, their tenacity. Like sometimes I might, if I'm like, I don't know how tenacious this person is. They called me up, you know, to schedule the meeting for the demo. Maybe I won't return the call. Maybe I'll wait a day or two. See if they keep calling me up. Interesting. So because I want I want people who are tenacious. You say see your resume says that you're tenacious. Prove it to me. You say that you're you're good with Pete. You're good. To, you're you're good to gab. I'll be silent. Yeah, but if I saw good to gab on a, a resume, I would screen it out immediately. Say with tenacious. <laughs> <laughs> You know, some, some people say, you know, they're really good at converting. I don't know. I, 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 yeah. So what do you do when someone says they're a closer? Do you believe there is such a thing as a closer? No, I think, I think, I think you're always closing to a certain degree and it comes from just advancing the sale, getting, you know, you know, the, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step and you just keep making little steps and eventually, eventually they close themselves. 
that's what I, I that's what I believe makes for great sales. But you still but you still see many many companies you know have job postings for sales reps and they want a closer they want an extrovert they want and and in some businesses that might work oh really which one none none that i've worked in but okay but i i so why does that persist why why do companies because i've not worked in all those industries it's because sometimes i think it's because what what I've learned in my podcast for interviewing lots of salespeople is that in some industries, you're never going to see this person again. You know, it's a time you're selling timeshares or something and you're never going to see them again. If you don't close them now, you're never going to close them. So that's why those industries continue to do that. That's not my experience. My experience is in the B2B space. It's the enterprise business. Space. Well, I was, I was talking specifically about B2B software, you know, SaaS business. You see a lot of companies in the software subscription services yeah, still are advertising for closers. I know. And I can speak of one that's very, very famous and I won't speak of right now who does that. And I, I, I really dislike it. And the reason we buy and the reason I have bought from them is because they're the only game in town. Hmm. To some degree, so I have to think about who that is. So, <laughs> so if if that's the case, and you know, one of the things that if there is no such thing as a closer per se, as you talked about, you know, we're we're progressing the deal to get to the point where the customer makes a decision, right? Do salespeople have, still have to, in your mind? I mean, do they still have to ask for the sale? Sometimes all it takes is as simple as yeah. I think, think to a certain degree, yes. But it could be just as simple as, well, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like we are, you guys are really excited about getting started. Let's, who would be the person I work with to get the purchase order moving? And who would be the person that I would work with to get this stuff turned on? And what would happen if you didn't ask those questions? They might just say, this has been a great meeting and that's it. And then you call them back up and say, and then people don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what the, that's what clients have told me. I just well, I just thought they would order. Well, they don't. No. No. Yeah, I think that. But you don't have to out and out ask them. So it sounds like you want to buy it, right? You no, know, it could be just something as simple as let's let's start working on the let's start moving forward. Yeah. We ask. You know, hey, when do you want to have this implemented by? Yeah, let's. You, it sounds like what you told me before that you'd like to see this done by the end of the month. That sounds terrific. Who would I talk to? To who would I meet with on Monday morning to get this moving forward? All I really need from you is one. I send you like I'll put it on me. I'm gonna send you an order form. All you gotta do is sign the bottom of it uh, with a PO number, and we can start working on this immediately. I only need to get paid. Yeah. Let's just start. Let's just start working for. Let's just start working on this. Right. Very good. But people don't do that. Something that simple. <laughs> it's goofy, but I can see why. You know, it's not what their it's not what their passions about, right? Their passions about you know microcontrollers. Well, could be, but I mean, if you're in sales, you're in sales, right? I mean, you still need to know how to how to yeah. bring things to an end. Right. I mean, I think most customers these days. I don't know about most. Well, but, it goes back. But I mean, yeah, you know, they're not. They don't want to spend more time than they have to evaluating and making a decision. So. Yeah, my experience has been increasingly, yeah, customers aren't in the olden days where they might have just let it drag out if you didn't ask for it. These days, yeah, people want it to want things to happen. I agree. I think secretly buyers are hoping that you have what they're looking for. 
they make may act all standoffish and everything, but secretly they were like, this is a real pain that I'm dealing with. It'd be awesome if someone could fix this in a timely manner. I hope it's you, vendor. I'm not going to tell you that, but I sure hope it's you. Well, yeah, they don't. Buyers, as a rule, buyers don't want to spend more time than is absolutely necessary to gather the information they need to make a good decision. Right. I mean, I think it's a, a myth that too many companies are falling into a trap where they think that what they have to do is help the customer make the absolute best decision when that's not really how people make decisions. They're really, most no, people want to, no, make the good, want to make the good enough decision. No, they don't. No, I think there's research behind this too, isn't there, that you're better off to make any decision than none? Well, there's research showing that most people are what they call satisficers. And, and you know, once they've sort of done their research and come up with solutions that meet their basic criteria, they're, they're okay making a decision. They don't feel the need to yeah. talk to absolutely every vendor to guarantee or to ensure themselves that they're making the absolute best choice. But there are people who do that. The thing, too, that's interesting about startups is, is that they're facing this more and more, not just in, in, like, in the sales process, but as you get bigger and bigger and you have more and more people, you can't be involved in every decision. Things aren't going to be as perfect as you had, they were when there was only two of you. And, uh, you know, when you go from two to 20, that's huge. When you go from 20 to 100, that's enormous. Oh, yeah. And, and, and there is no perfect answer for many things. You're just going to have to delegate it and wince. Like, you know, four out of 10 times is going to be, oh, I would have done it that way. But I did delegate it. <laughs> and it did get done. I wouldn't have done it that way. And you just got to be okay with that. You know, the, you have to move from, you know, from inventor to manager to leader and leaders to the best of their ability. You have to create, this is the, this is the destination and this is where we're going and try to roll people into making their abilities to make decisions that take you to that destination. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that's a good way. A good point for us to finish on because we're just about out of time here. So, oh. Pat Helmer, thanks for joining me today on Accelerate. So tell people how they can find out more about what you do and connect with you. I'm easy to find. I have a podcast called Sales Babble, Selling Secrets for Non-Sellers. And it's at www.salesbabble.com. Excellent. Okay. And to connect with you, they can do that there? They can do that there. Absolutely. They can All go right. on there. They can connect. There's, they can subscribe to the podcast. There's a place where they can connect with me where it says, you know, contact Pat. All right. That's, if you're a non-seller, I, ask me a question. I might be able to help you. Very good. I might not. <laughs> but you, you won't know unless you ask. So. You won't know unless you ask. All right. Well, good. Well, Pat, thanks again. And friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Come back. Join me again tomorrow. Another great episode of Accelerate. Until then, if you get a chance, take a moment. Go to iTunes, wherever you listen to this podcast. Subscribe to this podcast. If, if you haven't left a review yet, please leave us a review. We want to know what we can do to make this an even more valuable experience for you. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 